You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch. My name is Wendy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bardi. Hello Wendy. And our tactics guy Nathan A. Clark. Alright mate. Lads, the dream is over. The dream is over. England um, lost against Croatia. It's not coming home. Well, the World Cup's not coming home but third place might still come home. Um, Initial thoughts, Nathan? Uh, I mean, obviously... It was it was it was disappointing, but I I bounced back pretty quickly. I think that the general optimism is is the is the major theme, and that's that's sustained whilst the sort of post match misery quickly faded. Would you agree with that, Bardi? Yeah, I mean it, it was a once in a lifetime chance this England team to get to the final. You're not really going to get an opportunity like that again. But what it's done is it's got people interested again in the national game. Uh, people feel proud of their team, so there's there's still a lot of positives to take from it in that respect. I, we, this isn't in a running order, so I'm just going to throw this one at you. But do you do you buy this narrative that the the optimism and the togetherness that's come from this England performance in the World Cup and the squad harmony? Do you do you believe it has any kind of? Do do you accept that it transcends football, Nathan? Maybe I think there's been a lot of stuff along those lines written. And yeah. I think a lot of it's been stretching. Um, if anything, I, you could look at it from the optimist, the the opposite angle in that there there's um, maybe a, a a national situation of desperation, and yeah. football has presented itself as, as something to reach out to. Whether it's sort of actually provided anything or is indicative of anything um, is another question. But it, it's or individually, um, it's it's been a positive amongst negatives. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I feel like football is something relatively simple and straightforward that is easy to get behind. And there's so much going on in, in our country that is complex and convoluted and you don't know who to believe and there's half-truths and full-truths and, and no-truths in some case that everyone's kind of clutching for something and, and football's given us this thing to, to, hang, our, to hang our hats from and... For for one summer, for for one very long, very hot summer, which is unusual in itself, it's kind of taken us away from this weird feeling that we're we're all experiencing at the moment. So I, I I'm sort of on the leaning towards football tra- or the fe- the feeling transcending football. Um, yeah, I just I just thought I'd throw that out there. Let's start let's start the um, podcast as we need to go on. <laughs> so let's, let's talk specifically. Let's go let's go uh, let's go micro. Let's talk about. The specifics of this game, this match between England and Croatia, which England started so well. So I felt like the first half was pretty much the dream first half in, in a sense. We got the early goal. We looked threatening from other set pieces. We even looked occasionally threatening from from open play. And then everything fell apart. What went wrong, Nathan? 
Um, I think there's things you can look at with regards to their full backs pinning our wing backs and 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 minor tactical trends like that. But I always felt before the match that it was likely that England would start strong and Croatia would go in, grow into it. And and once that momentum had begun to go Croatia's way, you you can't really take it away from from Modric and Rakitic that once they're on top. The rest of the game is theirs, and it, it's simply the matter of the fact that we uh, we only had the game for 35 minutes, and in that time we only scored one goal. Um, so it, there was an inevitability about it, I think, which I didn't so much feel live, but I think looking back, it, it, it feels more that way. Bardi, as someone who's not an England fan, um, which 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 many of our listeners have been picking up on and and not liking. Um, and you've got a slightly different perspective. How how did you feel like England, how did you feel England performed and, and what do you think went wrong? Well, I thought England started really well and um, that Croatia were properly shook when um, Trippier curled that in. You could see visibly that they weren't expecting that. Rakitic had a terrible opening twenty five minutes. They couldn't get any kind of um, composure on the ball. And England played to their strengths, which is quick, fast ball up to Sterling, into Kane and trying to turn them. And Vida and Lovren were in all kinds of trouble. And I think had the referee started booking Lovren, which which would have been fair enough because he did make a couple of um, strong challenges, then perhaps he that would have been a point that they could have um, exploited later on in the game. But as soon as Croatia got a foothold in the game, then you could see after 35 minutes, the game was kind of done for England. From then, it was relying on a mistake or a set piece. And it was just a question of time when when Croatia would score and whether or not they could um, get their act together. I think that's a fair appraisal, to be honest. Um, I was I was really disappointed when Shimei Vrishalko, uh was named in the starting lineup because I've, I've been impressed with him. I think he's a, a really good player. And we kind of banked on him not being involved, missing out through injury and Chorluka coming in. And we all felt like Chorluka could be exposed by the pace of some of our attacking players. But Vesalco was was great. And that little triangle on that side was was a big influence in Croatia's performance. Um, when when you play the wing-back system like we do, or have been, if a full-back gets forward and doubles up with a winger, it causes you a problem because you suddenly got a two against one. And we had Delhi on the left and... Lingard on the right having to constantly shuffle across and try and shut things down and it just wasn't working there was they were left with too much ground to cover given that they also had a, a midfield three to deal with um and, sorry yeah sorry and uh, Modric as the game went on he went further and further towards the right and he started really combining well with Rosalco who was he was a, he was one of the outstanding players on the pitch and um, his cross for Perisic's goal was was a thing of beauty, and yeah, he was great. I thought Strinic, their left back, looked really shaky, and I thought England should have maybe have got the better of him a few times. But um, yeah, it, it you know in the semi final it does come down to these kind of key moments, and Kane missed. Well, one was a great save from the goalkeeper, but he did miss quite an easy chance. And had that gone in, then then of course England, I'm pretty sure would have ended up in the final, but. It's those kind of moments in England in this game were relying on something like that. They haven't played a team as capable as Croatia, so it was always going to be a huge test for them. And they gave it a good go. You know, the, the England team that lost to Iceland in 2016, that was a pathetic exit. But this England team, they pushed to their maximum and they were let down in the end by a lack of quality in certain areas and perhaps a couple of decisions by Southgate. 
Yeah, that's fair. I think it, it does come down to fine margins in, in many occasions. And, you know, you're right that Kane, Kane missed that great chance. And you mentioned earlier that Lovren could have been given a yellow. He absolutely should have been given a yellow for that foul on Kane on halfway because we had a we had a two against one, if not two against none. Um, and then Lovren committed various other fouls for which he could have been booked as well. And that probably should have been second yellow and we could have been a man up. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's fine margins do uh, are so important in these knockout competitions. And we were just we were a little unlucky. However, having said that, could Southgate have done more? So we, we know the subs he made, but Nathan, were they the right changes? What could Southgate have done to to, to kind of stop the um, the tide of attacks that were coming our way? I think um, it's very easy to, after the match, look at substitutions and say, and especially the Sterling for Rashford one is, is, the, is the big one in that we really didn't threaten after that. Our our big threat from the second half onwards was that we could access Sterling quickly, and he was faster than than Lovren or Vida. And once that went, that was when we were truly flat as a as a threat. Um, but and there's a a similarity here with Pochettino. Uh, the reality of the situation is likely that he had to make those substitutions based on fitness. Um, I think this is something that that happens with Pochettino a lot as well. Is that every single one of those subs looks to me is that he recognised the player is approaching his red line and he's yeah. just made a direct replacement. So yeah, it'd be nice to say, well, actually, you know, if he'd have gone this player for Ruben Loftus Cheek, then we could have altered this shape and avoided a two v one out wide. Sure, and I don't think Southgate doesn't know that. Um, yeah, maybe there are things he could have done better, but I think that it would be very harsh to lean on those substitutions rather than look at the whole tournament as a bigger picture. The only argument I'd have against that point, which I think is a very fair point, is that Kane looked absolutely dead on his feet. If there was anyone into the red, it was it was Kane in that match. That's fair. From, from my outside perspective, you know, without having the, the detail on his fitness and without having spoken to him, you know, it it looked like he was knackered. And and understandably, because he's been battered this World Cup, he's been up against some really tough defenders who have targeted him, they've held him, and it's it's draining physically to constantly be competing for area balls, to be held back, uh, to be held down, to try and out-muscle defenders. So naturally he's getting drained. We don't really have an alternative to Kane in the squad, and therefore he was pretty exhausted. He wasn't taken off, and I, I guess you could say he's our talisman, he's our captain, why would you take off Kane? But then, in a, in a sense, the same could be said for Sterling. Why take off Sterling? He's got the potential to, to do to do damage in the same way that Kane has. So I'd sort of say perhaps there's more to it. Perhaps Southgate saw something in Rashford that could could make a difference, and and maybe he, he thought Sterling's performance wasn't quite there. Um, I would. The other one I was, would. Sorry, sorry. I would say that. Um... And this may not be the case, but take it as a hypothetical is that if you have to leave one of Gaynor Sterling on the pitch because they're both exhausted, the player who's going to continue to have some level of effect despite not being able to run is Kane because he can sit in the hole and distribute the ball, while Sterling without pace is a much more limited player. All right, mate. No need to mug me off my own <laughs> podcast, all right? Jesus Christ. I, um, Jesus I, agree Christ. With, um, I agree with I agree with Nathan there. But the problem was replacing Sterling for Rashford is as we spoke about Sterling before, he's so tactically aware. He drops deep. He gets involved in the play. He Sometimes he will drop in and help out Henderson. You don't get anything from that from Rashford. So it was in Southgate, he thought he was going like for like, pace for pace. But 
in the end, you put on a player, Rashford, who Mourinho doesn't trust that much because he isn't as tactically aware as other players at his disposal. So personally, I think a um, even a Fabian Delph would have been a good move at that moment. Somebody who at least is tactically aware of the game. Rashford plays his own game, plays for himself. I'm not saying he's a selfish player, but he's very one-dimensional. And I just think that's where England had a problem there. I think Delph or um, Loftus-Cheek would have been a wiser substitution if Sterling was so knackered. I've got a question of my own. Um, we, we've seen the the fourth sub rule come into play here with extra time, but do you think four is enough? No, no. Um, particularly in, in World Cups where there's an issue with heat, I, I think the energy is sapped from players so much quicker in hot conditions. Um, I, th- I think it was an issue in a, in a number of games. The quality just dropped off in extra time. How, I mean, the 90% of the games that have gone to extra time have then gone to penalties. I don't know if that's higher than the norm, but to me it felt like it was. Um, obviously, this was the only one that's been, <laughs> that hasn't gone to penalties. Um, but yeah, I feel like you need an, an extra one or two if you're, I mean, you've made that decision for a reason. Increasing it to four, why not go further? Why not make it six? We've got these big squads. Let's let's let teams use them. I have to or, or unlimited subs in extra time. Why not? I have to disagree because then I think you'll have even more managers playing for penalties, and even like keeping penalty specialists on the bench. Um, they'll see, oh, I can make two subs here, and they'll bring on two guys just to take penalties. I have no beef with that, to be honest. It's, uh, I, I, it's strategy. I kind of do. I remember that this is a weird thing. It's always stuck in my head. There was this England hockey player. I think it was called Giles. And they used to bring him on just for the short corner. And then they immediately sub him off. And I don't really like that. So I, I'm okay with just having four subs. So we're not going to progress the game of football because of Giles and hockey. <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> That's just my personal <laughs> beef with it. Is Giles his first name or his surname? I think it might be Callum Giles. I don't know. I don't oh, know. I, liked the, I liked the idea that a hockey player was called Giles. It just felt right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, party. Uh, we have a question from Jeremy Lockley on Twitter who said, Why did we revert to stereotype and start punting the ball up the pitch in the second half? Lack of quality or lack of big game management? Now, we've all, we've all seen the video of Jordan Henderson just launching long ball after long ball, and, you know, Henderson had a rough match. But let's not forget that Henderson had probably been one of our best players up until this game, so I think going in on Henderson at this point is really unfair. However, it does make one consider whether that was a tactical. Uh, a, a decision made to instruct Henderson to play lots of long balls or whether he just panicked and, and ended up playing long because Croatia's midfield was on him. Do you have any thoughts on that, Nathan? Uh, yeah, I would suspect that that's mainly an instruction and you could perhaps mm. be critical and say he's gone to it too keenly. Um, there's been... There were comments from... It might have been Rakitic, but I'm not sure who, along the lines of, well, you know... There was lots of stuff written about England playing nice football. When you press them, they just play long like they always do. I think Bardi tweeted something not dissimilar. It was, uh, was Rosalco. It was the right back okay. who said that. Um, but, uh, you know, in the pub I watched in, there was a lot of people getting upset that we were passing it about at the back when it was into extra time. Um, we did play long, but I think that's because it made sense as a threat that if they pushed on and they've got a pair of fairly slow centre-halves and you've got Sterling, I don't think it was uselessly hoofing. It might have been on a couple of occasions. I think, you know, you can see that a couple of times in the video, but I think it was smart to play long, maybe not quite as much as we did, but I think it was smart to play long um, in, in that context. I think that's fair. I think that's a very balanced view. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, so generally, if we think about England's World Cup performance as a whole, what are, you, what are your main feelings about it and, and your reflections? Bardi, we'll start with you as, a, as an Italian. Um, I think it's really encouraging just to watch England try and play out uh, of the back. I was really impressed with Stones, Pickford, Maguire. I thought they were very brave. Even on occasions when they almost got caught out, they continued to keep to the philosophy, keep trying to play out the back. And I thought that was great. Um, the problem was as the game opened up, the gap between them and Henderson, then Henderson and the forward four, however many there are, got too big. But... Um, if this is Southgate's influence, then all credit to him because it was really nice to see. And as I said, they were, this is a semi-final and they're trying to pass it out the back. It was great to see. I think that's that's quite right. There, clearly, the instruction is to, to play the ball out from the back. There was no, or very little, uh, lumping the ball long from goalkeepers, defenders. It was always mm-hmm. kind of how Spurs played, just trying to find angles to, to pass the ball, get, get the ball into midfield and, and play it forward constructively. Having said that, I didn't thought, think England actually played very well in many of their games. I felt as though we were stunted by um, lack of creativity in midfield. And although I thought Sterling had some, some really good games, some really good moments in games, uh, we, we certainly didn't see the best of him. Um, and I think the same can be said of, of both Delhi and Lingard. I thought they both did well in patches, but we, we didn't really get to see them at their best. And I think England have another gear to go into in the future, which is both frustrating and exciting. Nathan, what are your overall uh, reflections on, on the World Cup from England? Uh, a comparison I've made, I think, a couple of times this summer is is sort of old Spurs and new Spurs and, and old England and new England. And in both cases, it's we're good now, but we still haven't won anything. And that has been quite painful. But, you know, it, you know the hope that kills you. But the, the lows are lower, but the... The highs are higher, and I I adore football. I'm not into you know it's not golf or sewing. I I want to feel and and as a bigger picture, I'm I'm so so glad that the summer has been the way it has. That's that's that's, that's delightful. That's very sweet. Sewing? Why? I don't know. <laughs> where did that Where did that come? I was from? just trying to think of a hobby that would be bland compared to having your heart broken by a football team. <laughs> oh, I love it. Next thing to talk about really is what we might have done differently. So hindsight is a wonderful thing, and I, I'm often Captain Hindsight. But Bardi, who, who, what players would have added something to this England World Cup squad in hindsight? Well, there's the obvious ones, Lalana and um, Chamberlain, who would have definitely given more options in midfield. But uh, I just think they it's really lacked the kind of a metronome like you know someone who passes gets the ball ticks and keeps it ticking nice and simple I don't know if, if Lewis Cook would have been that player I don't know if Harry Winks can be that player um, you know part of me thinks maybe Jack Wilshire could have been that option but I'm glad he didn't go because I don't think he deserved it and he's a nasty little man but I, <laughs> I, there's definitely a need for someone there who just recycles possession 
because too often Henderson would look wide. I mean, some of his passing was great against Sweden. He was he was um, switching the direction of the play, but there's a definitely a need for someone to keep it nice and quick in midfield. Nathan, who would have been that man for you? Uh, I understand why Lana didn't make the squad, but I was still disappointed. I'm still disappointed now, even though, yeah, he was he was lacking for fitness fairly clearly. But I think that you could have justified a place for him in the squads, even if he didn't play until, you know, the Sweden game, by which time he'd been um, spending every day jogging around trying to build up some fitness. Um, yeah, I'd like to have seen him. And obviously, yeah, of course, in the future, we're looking to Winks, aren't we? I'd like to think so. I, I don't think Wilshere, um would have been the right man. I mean, just just from the the fact that we've got a likable squad who all seem to get on really well, and he's a detestable piece of shit, and we just don't want him as part of the squad. He's he's not the right character. He's so self-centred. Um, no, Wilshire wouldn't have been the right guy. I, I tweeted before the World Cup, and this is me mugging myself off here, um, that I'd have taken Cook, Lana, and Shelby rather than Welbeck, Young, and Trippier. Now, obviously... Young and Trippier, as it turned out, were highly effective due to their set pieces. And Trippier in open play, to be fair. Um, but I still think the point stands that Cook or Shelby, certainly instead of Welbeck and then one other, would have been useful. Particularly as England were trying to launch all these early long balls. Shelby's passing range is, you know, as good as any English midfielder. Um, so it seems a strategically sound decision to take him. I, I get that there are issues with his consistency, so I kind of understand that. I think Cook's a good shout in the absence of Winks. I, I think he'll be there in the future. I really like Lewis Cook. Um, and there are other players in the future as well who, who might force their way into consideration. So the likes of Madison and Grealish, who could push on and become... I mean, Grealish hasn't decided yet whether he's going to play for Ireland or England. But th- there's potential there, and there's different types of players for the future. And... Um, Josh Pardy on Twitter said England's lack of a midfield creator was highlighted against Croatia. Who do you identify that could fill that role in future tournaments? I, I, I've just said I think Shelby could have done it in this tournament. I think in the future, like I said, Madison is potentially the one. Is there anyone you've got your eye on in future tournaments, Pardy, from an England perspective? Um, you know my feelings towards Shelby. I don't think Shelby would have added anything to the team. He, yes, he, he passes long. He's got a nice long passing, but... Henderson's, I think Henderson's passing may not be as strong, but his all-round game is better. Um, same with Delph and stuff. So I, I, I wouldn't say Shelby in in the future, as we said, Cook, Winks, those kind of guys, and um, yeah, those kind of guys. I mean, we, when we're talking about keeping the ball and relieving pressure, even someone just to do a kind of Dembele kind of role and just beat a man and keep possession just by holding on to it. Um, a lot of people say Loftus-Cheek could have done that role as well, but we we will never know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how good Loftus-Cheek is after a couple couple more years of exposure to Premier League football because obviously he's broken through late due to his career choices, but there's a lot, there's a lot of growth potential there um, and I think he could become something quite exciting. So look forward to seeing what he can do in the Euros in a couple of years' time. So we, we go on to play the third place playoff um, on on Saturday. Is this something you care about, Nathan? Yeah, I think it would be nice to sort of finish a tournament on a high. I think third is something to be proud of. I mean, yeah, simply, I think so. And what do you think the lineup will be? Do you think we'll go full strength? I think we might get sort of one or two experimentations, and I think we might have some early subs that lean that way as well. But uh, yeah, I think I think that Gareth will feel similarly to us, and he'll want to win it. So I think he'll go fairly strong. 
Body, what are, what are um, what are Belgium's weaknesses? Now we've seen a little more of them. Um, I think Belgium will come into this game broken. In they'll be in a much more worse mental state than England will be. There was a lot of expectation on them. Um, they knocked out Brazil, which added to the expectation. This is their golden generation. So I think, I think we might find a broken and disjointed Belgium team. I'm not sure Martinez is the kind of guy that can rally them and get them together. So I expect England to to put them to bed. To be honest with you, um, I think the third place matters. It goes down in history books. It's also a marker as well that. You finish third at this World Cup and then you can bring that on to the next World Cup. So it, it is important to the manager and to the players and also for um, for the golden boot as well. These the goals, Any goals scored here will count. You know what though, I feel like if Kane scores a couple against Belgium, people are going to say, why didn't he do that against Croatia? Nah, you know, it's, you know, you can't, can't people, people are stupid anyway. But um, yeah. in 98 when Croatia went to the third and fourth place player, that meant a lot to them. Um, Germany in 2006 when they ended up there as well that meant a lot for them in front of their own fans to finish um, to finish the tournament strong so I know a lot of people kind of pass it off but it's it's, it's still important it's ultimately ultimately more experience of tournament football in, in a you know uh, what's the word in a cauldron of an atmosphere mm-hmm. in, in in temperatures that players aren't necessarily used to playing regularly in um, against a, a strong side. Um, yeah. it, it can only be a good thing to, for, if, for the development of his squad. And if I was Southgate, I would start the start the players that he expects to be taken to the next Euros. So I think Trippi is injured anyway. So Alexander, what's his name? Trent Alexander-Arnold. These kind of guys, the younger ones, get them in here and let them play the whole game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. So let's talk a little about um, transfers before we sign off on this one. Um, not a great deal going on. We know that... Um, Alassane Player, who Nathan and I had spoken about briefly before, has signed for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, no great loss, I don't think. And, I, and who knows if the Spurs' interest was genuine. Perhaps it was used to drum up um, more interest in him. Um, the other news that's come come through today is that Damian Comoly is, is in London speaking with Spurs over potential season-long loan deals for Moussa Sissoko, George Kevin and Kudu and Vincent Janssen. That's been reported by one of the major Turkish newspapers, which is is said to be reliable. So potential there for for three outgoing transfers. Loans seems a shame because I don't think that any of them are players with long-term Spurs features, but as long as they've got an option to buy at the end, then I guess it's no bad thing. Do you see any of those as a loss, Nathan? Mm, No. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) Are they even players that we need to replace in the squad? Uh... It would be good to either have a single player of Musa Sissoko's versatility or make up for his um, ability to fill the squad with several young players. I can guess which you'd prefer, Chris. <laughs> Buddy, are you worried about losing any of these three? No, what I am quite impressed with is Damian Kamoli's, like the way he's still fully Spurs. Yeah. He went to, <laughs> he signed a couple of good players for us. He went to Liverpool, stitched them up with some really bad signings and now he's at Fenerbahce and he's going to help us out by taking three massive lumps of dead wood off us. Do they still pay massive fees? Because I've just got this memory of like five years ago where Fenerbahce would pay way over the odds for pretty average players. Is that still the case? Yeah, they're, they're, the Turkish league is a bit funny like that. I think I think Prandelli went there as manager. Now, I remember like Nicholas Anelko and they signed Barr from um, from Chelsea, did they? Even though his like knees had fallen off, they just, <laughs> a bit ridiculous. They 
they seem to absorb a lot of talent. There seems to be a lot of players going into those two major Turkish mm. clubs every summer, yeah. and they have they have a huge turnover of of yesterday's names. Yeah, I mean, which which is great news for us with our <laughs> with our recent transfer strategy, where we end up with a lot of Deadwood. Um, so so yeah, that's that's good news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we used to send our players to West Ham. Now we they all end up in Fenerbahce because they're going to link up with Soldado again. I tell you what, West Ham are signing fairly well. I think I, I'm I'm quite concerned about how they've got their act together in this, this summer, and, and I'm actually worried about them next year as a, as a genuinely decent team. It's weird um, because they've been so not just bad, but like silly for so long that they've suddenly they seem to be going to the opposite extreme. If for me, it's a kind of like they started playing Football Manager 2015 and signing <laughs> Malenko and Felipe Anderson, these kind of guys. Um, it, I'm not too overly concerned about West Ham. And I noticed that Fulham signed a player you like very much, Nathan. Tell us about him. Yes, yeah, Seri. He's, I mean, he was linked to, to Barcelona last summer and that was a move that made sense. And now he's going to Fulham. I don't know what more there is to say about that. It's it's honestly bizarre. There's there's a medical issue with his feet and cold weather. Um, so, <laughs> pardon, he gets like cold toes. Yeah, I think yeah, essentially. Um, so uh, like it might be a toenail issue or something. I don't know. But so it kind of makes sense that or oh, maybe the larger clubs want him to have sort of a Premier League trial at Fulham for a year. But that also just makes me think we'll just go to La Liga instead. So. Um, yeah, it's it's baffling that he's gone to Fulham, even if you account for the the foot situation. But this is this is totally unstructured and, and just shows that I my mind is not quite on it after a, a long week at work and particularly today interviewing literally all day uh, and it's Friday afternoon now. So, um, but Bardi, I, I I completely forgot to mention that I thought Brozovic had a really strong match in the middle of Croatia's midfield and yep. he plays for Inter. Does he play regularly for Inter? Is he like is he in their team every week? Well, the key to winning the World Cup is you have to have an Inter player in your team. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this. Since 1982, there's been an Inter player in every single World Cup final, which is amazing. But uh, Brozovic, you know, he's a very disciplined player. He plays nice. For me, he's no world beater, but it's about systems and about, especially in international football, finding the players that fit nicely. And when I saw Brozovic in the starting lineup, I, I knew there'd be problems for England there. I like I like him a lot. I've, I've, every game I've seen him in the World Cup, I've been impressed. I think he's a very good player. I was just kind of wondering if he's if he's maybe not a mainstay at Inter, then perhaps he's someone that Premier League teams should be looking towards because yeah, he he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, we'll leave it we'll leave it there for now. And I mean, I've loved doing these World Cups pods with you guys, so I think we should do one after the final and do a kind of general roundup of everything that's happened. Um, and then, of course, we'll be back onto the the Spurs pre-season hype train um but thank you for joining me Bardi. no worries wendy thank you and you nathan cheers mate and we'll speak to you it's soon bye. bye it's the fighting clock it's the fighting it's the fighting clock oh that was really interesting mate yeah